0: The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Is
1: Britain a nation divided? Are we increasingly different from each other? Different in outlook? Different in politics? Different in what we have? In 2020 the government's own figures showed
0: 10% of the population owned 43% of the UK's wealth. Half the people
1: owned only 9% between them. And it's been getting worse. Between 1984 and 2013 the top 0.1% saw their share double. We're
0: home to almost One in 20 of the world's millionaires, and the accepted international measure of inequality, the
1: Gini coefficient, shows we're worse than anywhere else in Europe apart from Italy. At the same time, attitudes to social and political issues seem to be more polarised. The nation split almost 50 50 over Brexit.
0: And more extreme, two MPs murdered since 2016 and many others leaving because of online abuse and threats. So,
1: as this week's budget seeks to carve up slices of the national cake, are we too different? and unequal for all to do well. Whether it's north-south, red wall versus leafy
0: southern suburbs, or wealthy liberal tech entrepreneurs versus left-behind social
1: conservatives, are our divisions getting worse? That's the subject for this week's Why Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates.
0: The Why... Have. and you know often when we look at inequality we look at income inequality and that can be very misleading because it 's mm. actually wealth inequality that really counts it 's yeah. those those people who 've acquired wealth passed it on from generation to generation you know maybe not actually earning that much I know so many people who you think hang on a second you 're a school teacher and you 've got this massive house in Surrey. And it's, it's mum and dad. It's the people you know. Yeah, know. It's the money that's being passed <laughs> on. But, of course, it's,
1: it's not just welfare. The whole the divisions are much bigger than that. The point is that there mm. are, in terms of attitudes to what happens, and part of that is dictated, of course, by uh, how well you're doing, I suppose, but education, lots of ways in which we are very, very different. We, mm. we are much more different from people with different outlooks than, than we would be from people in other countries very often.
0: And I, I think also in this country, you know, the divide, I think it's probably the same in most of the Western world, actually. The divide isn't so much on class grounds now. It's age grounds. Mm. You know, it's those those people who've uh, gone right. onto the housing yep. ladder at the right time versus yep. those people who will never
1: be able to afford to buy age, a house. wealth and education, they say, are the three big things. And I suppose talking about wealth, if you're wondering how to make the most of your money and how to protect your wealth rather than seeing it frittered away in tax and unwise investments, it's worth giving Wigmore Associates a call. They are a boutique wealth management company based in London, close to Bond Street Tube, where the people who run the company will work directly with you to develop the solution that meets your objectives, whether it's managing your tax efficiency, investing spare cash, planning for your retirement, or sorting out your inheritance arrangements. Give them a call to see how they can help, and uh, you can tell them Phil and Roger sent you. They know who we are. Just visit www.wigmore-associates.co.uk, or you can call them on 0207 224. 3400.
0: That was a sponsorship announcement, by the it way. Was. You might have missed it because it just so seamlessly went seamlessly. in there. You were like a professional. Yeah. Like, yeah, as yeah. though you've been reading them all your life, Roger, which course, is all very new to you, of course. <laughs> so let's talk more about uh, the wealth divide. Pat Thane is a professor of contemporary history at King's College London and the author of the book Divided Kingdom, a history of Britain from 1900 to the present. Pat joins us now.
1: Pat, uh, we're talking about a divided nation here and, and that was actually the title, of the course, of a book you, you wrote back in 2018. Do you think Britain has become more divided in all these areas of social outlooks, wealth, uh, political views, all these kind of things? Do you think it's become more divided, say, in the last 40 years?
2: Uh, I think in most ways, certainly in terms of wealth and income, it's become more divided since the 1980s with some diminution under New Labour when it was in power. Uh and politically too the the real political division i suppose has got worse more recently.
0: Because of Brexit, do you think more than anything.
2: Yeah, well, Brexit is is one thing. Yes, and immigration and all kinds of things that are going on. that obviously very deep divisions. So, about. The, so the,
0: you're saying that you know it's got worse since the 80s, and I guess that was because in the 80s, those people who could borrow borrowed, and we sort of like saw this big expansion in in borrowing, and, and those people who couldn't afford to borrow couldn't, and and then obviously that created this uh, sort of in, inflation in asset prices. So house prices shot up a great deal and we got to this divide didn't we where people who basically could afford a house or got in early you know could keep their house and those people who couldn't and i was just saying before we started talking to you to roger that it feels almost like the divide now is less a class divide more more of an age divide and a lot of housing is central to that those people who can afford it and those people who can't
2: well there are big divisions within all age groups uh, I mean, amongst younger people, there are those who can't afford them, those who can, the ones who inherit money particularly, and similarly among older people. There are quite a lot of very poor older people. I mean, what changed in the, in the 80s is a number of things. One was much greater unemployment when unemployment shot up uh, in the first couple of years of Thatcher's reign. Two over 3 million. And there was increased poverty in that period, child poverty really shot up. And part of what was happening was the decline of manufacturing, of traditional working class jobs, and the great expansion of finance, and people in finance making a lot of money, both by investing and with huge earnings. And since 2010, the divisions have just got even greater. But but of course, what also happened very much in the 1980s, has happened even more since 2010, is cuts to welfare benefits and services. I mean, income and wealth inequality, um, equality was narrowest in the mid-1970s, despite the bad reputation of the 70s. It was a very good decade in many ways. And then things Got worse.
0: So they are better now than they were. Of course, you know, at the if we look back a
1: hundred years, yes, the beginning of nineteen hundred, <laughs> which is when your book uh, started. I mean, obviously, I guess wealth divisions and general social divisions, class divisions, were much more uh, extreme then. So ten to
0: the top ten. I mean, you might have other numbers, but the numbers I was looking at the top ten percent at the ten of the twentieth century, the top ten percent of the population controlled ninety three percent of all the wealth in Britain. So we we have come quite away from there, haven't we? At the very least,
2: yes. So they still. Uh, control for a huge amount of wealth, I and mean, things have changed. But I think in many ways, we've almost got back to the situation around 1900. Particularly the level of poverty. I mean, part of the way poverty has risen since 2010. So that now there's at least 25% of the UK of UK households are in poverty by the internationally recognized definition of incomes below 60% of the median. And a majority of those are people in work. And that's the other thing that's gone, that's changed badly since 2010, is the so-called gig economy. Larger numbers of people who are in work, but with very low pay and very insecure. So I think we define poverty differently now, but I think if we uh, compare the inequalities, there's are very, very they're certainly greater than they've been at any other time since 1900. Because
0: of labour laws, I mean, that's I mean, it sounds like an easy fix is just to say, well, okay, we need to have a, you know, we, we need to ensure that there's a a meaningful definition of a of a minimum wage and get we of this
1: well, idea. Well, there is a minimum wage anyway, but which there, which has yeah, risen, but
2: yeah, but it's 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 not a so called living wage. It's terribly low. Yes, we just need a more regulated economy, mm. so we have a genuine living wage that so really is enough to live on. <laughs> because of, um, I mean, a huge number of people on universal credit are working, <clears throat> which is crazy. When the whole idea of universal credit is meant to be to stimulate people to work.
1: So, uh, taking it to a dov- another area, we're talking there about wealth, obviously, how much people their ability to to afford things. But what about the attitudes? Of people, uh, which which certainly a lot of people standing back would say, it seems that social attitudes, political attitudes, are more polarized than they were a generation ago. Do you think that is true, and and is it related to the wealth issue? Yeah, because part of that attitude is, isn't it, from those
0: people who got money? Is those people who haven't got money just aren't working hard enough? It's their fault.
2: Uh, well, of course, that was the standard attitude around 1900. It was what the old poor law was all about. Mm. And it did rather diminish, particularly diminished from 1945 to the 70s. But it's come back very strongly since the 1980s, blaming the poor for their poverty. And it's spread very much by some of the tabloid press. So those attitudes, I mean, how extensive they really are, it's hard to tell, but they're certainly much stronger than they were, say, in the 1970s. But other kinds, of issues, I don't know. There was some recent research which seemed to show that more people are actually getting much more liberal over a lot of things, you know, like immigration and gender equality, race equality. But there are still divisions. But those divisions are somewhat diminishing. But you know.
1: that, that's interesting. So you're saying those divisions, which in some ways many people thought, for example, that, that some of the social reforms carried out in the 2000-2010s were way ahead of actual public opinion. And, and in fact, if anything, increased the division because people resented being pushed forward into things like equal marriage and uh, rights for women, gender equality, even some of the laws about uh, race uh, and religion, that uh, they were way ahead of the pack. Well,
2: um, obviously, some people do think that. But as I say, there is this recent um, survey evidence suggesting that more people are getting more liberal-minded on more of those issues. Uh, I mean, there always have been divisions over issues like that. But if anything, they're, they're rather softening.
0: And I wonder also whether, you know, having been through COVID... I mean, it it was very clear, wasn't it, that there were certain sections of of the community who suffered more during COVID because they perhaps couldn't get the the help they needed or they couldn't work. And then coming out of it, this uh, massive problem that we have now with inflation, I think there's a recognised understanding that the poor uh, suffer the most from inflation. So perhaps even though that is creating a worse situation for people, maybe it's, it's heightening the understanding of this divide. So long term, perhaps it's a good thing.
2: Yes, I think that probably is true. That both COVID and the cost of living have drawn attention to these kind of undeserved inequalities, including race inequalities, with the fact that it was Bangladeshi and Pakistani people who were most likely to die of COVID. And Mm. then hearing that explained by the fact they often live in overcrowded homes and they've got, they had to go out to work even when we were locked down because they're in low paid key jobs. And we needed them to, to work, and they needed the income. But then they were more likely to get COVID and die. And and there are real sort of race differences in on many issues. But somehow, and for reasons I don't begin to understand, Bangladeshi people of Bangladeshi and Pakistani origin seem to come off worse on almost every measure. But it could be people are now more understanding that it's not just because of the natural inferiority and fecklessness of of, of racial groups.
0: And we, we, you know, I don't think anyone had any problem, did they, when the government stepped in and said, right, we are going to subsidise energy prices, perhaps because yeah. they said we're going to subsidise energy prices for everybody, but yeah. I mean, it was yeah. it was clearly, the, the people at the, the bottom end, didn't need, I mean, there's a question about why they needed to do that, to be oh, honest with right. you. I mean, you know, why does R- Rishi Sunak need his energy? Well, interesting, Rishi Sunak is, uh, yeah. you know, he does need support for his energy because he's had to upgrade the uh, local power capability in yeah. Richmond for his indoor swimming pool. The best
1: headline out <laughs> of that was, let them heat lake, which I thought was, was terrific. <laughs> um, but but the point that I mean, which is not Another interesting point about uh, about the, our political masters, I suppose, the fact that we have someone of Asian origin yeah. now as prime minister and no one has thought much about that. What about the racial division in the country and attitudes towards different races? Is that the same as it was better? How do you think that's working?
2: Well, again, according to this set of surveys that I I just saw a summary of it in The Guardian, but and also o- online. Um, actually, to, I mean, let's it sounds as though racial tolerance is becoming much greater. Uh, the people's racial attitudes are, are less antagonistic, at least of many people. Um, so it looks as though that might be changing. As I said, I think it may have something to do with what we were told about the impact of COVID and the the and, also the cost of living the greater poverty of of certain groups
0: right and so do you think now that we are getting a wider spread acceptance that actually if you're not you know if you are in a struggling household it might actually not be it might be circumstance rather than laziness which has got you into that yeah
2: i mean the very fact that so many people who are in work are officially in poverty and also needing universal credit and using food banks and of course we've heard a lot of that during the strikes of people like teachers and nurses out using food banks we never heard of food banks before 2010 and now millions of people are using them
0: we see and that's interesting in itself isn't it the fact that the strike action is supported by so many people
1: yeah. yeah I mean, is, is that actually part of a dynamic of change? You're talking about perhaps wider tolerance in a lot of areas, though that that militates against what a lot of people think is going on. But do you think this is going to move towards perhaps a greater change in social and political attitudes simply because through COVID and now through widespread issues to do with, with, with pay not keeping up with inflation, people are more tolerant of each other in that sort of area. And and therefore, government policy is going to have to shift accordingly. Oh, I hope so.
2: Yes, I'd like to think that's true. And it does seem like it is true. And the fact that the strikers are people in these very respectable and also very important jobs. I mean, doctors, for heaven's sake, on strike, and nurses and teachers. And and they're obviously not people who willingly strike. And And I think it's the one, what's What's being heard about their their, their living conditions, their needs, the things they're saying, I think must be getting through to quite a lot of people.
0: So do you you, you think then we are going to see a a shift in in the political attitude as a result of all of this? And I hate the I hate the divide between left and right, because but it but it but it it would be for a change in policy. It would be a shift to what, what would be seen as being a shift to the left. And I sense that, you know, we are going that way. And, you know, to some people, actually, uh, the Labour Party is misreading the-, the uh, right, shifting the, the to climate. the right. But yeah, by, exactly, by not being left enough, uh, yeah. or not, not pushing enough of the agenda to try and solve some of these inequalities.
2: Yes, yeah, not responding. Mm. I and mean, I think, I, I believe they do have policies to regulate the labour market, but they don't seem to tell anybody. Um, for most of their history, they've had a, a solid working class base. But that was a decline of manufacturing and mining that dwindled. And beginning with Blair, they kind of thought they really had to appeal to what Blair called Middle England. And they'd ceased being able to talk to working people. And, and somehow they, they, don't, they don't express their more radical ideas, their more redistributive ideas, even though those would bring about a better society for
0: most of us. Well, I mean, now would be the time, wouldn't it? Because those words trickle down. Uh, you know, would have, you could have said that in the eighties, and people would have responded with a straight face. Whereas now, I think you know, most people are going <laughs> trickle down just doesn't work. Forget it. <laughs>
1: Let, no. let me inject yeah. a little bit of scepticism because I, I have a horrible sense that we we may all sort of vaguely <laughs> agreeing in a nice sort of guardian liftish way. But the truth is, Pat, isn't it, that there are people quite a lot of people out there who would take a very different view and, and quite extreme about it. And we saw to some extent that was true in the Brexit campaign. There was two nations, people with radically different ideas on either side of that and attitudes. To match, and people not really understanding each other, not really getting where the other was coming from. And the best description I saw was this suggestion that there are people from somewhere and people from everywhere. Yeah, and, and, and that hasn't gone away, no, has yeah. it? But let's
0: remember, a lot of that that Brexit vote was disenfranchised people, not on high yeah. incomes in the north of England, who were worried about their jobs being taken away by Johnny foreigner. That was that was the problem. But,
1: but a lot that came along in terms of social conservatives and other things were alongside. I mean, that division is still there, isn't it, Pat?
2: Well, I'm sure a lot of those divisions are. Of course, the Brexit division was very close. The the gap between the Brexters and the Remainers um, was really very small and only about less than three quarters of all voters actually voted. Um, But I think that... That well, perhaps I'm just an optimist, but it does seem to me there have been, of course, there are those divisions, there always have been, but they do seem to be somewhat softening given what people are hearing about the rest of the population. and I do think if more alternative policies were put forward for discussion, well, might have, that certainly would open up debate and might lessen some of the divisions, but I obviously we, we can't tell,
0: yeah. Well, some of them are quite easy as well, wouldn't they? So, I mean, I I would start with, uh, you know, if you're looking at uh, how do we work a tax system that's going to be fairer for everybody. First of all, you'd look at uh, 20% VAT, you know, aggressive tax, uh, national insurance contributions kicking in from, you know, from from very low incomes. I mean, 20% here. There's uh, 21% in Argentina, 22% in Uruguay. They're the only places I could find where it's higher than it is here. Uh, I I lived in Australia for a long time. It's 10% in Australia. Lots of countries don't even have it. Uh, And, you know, so there's a good start. Take well, take yeah, income tax, take take uh, VAT down to, 10, down to 10%. There were
1: plenty of people on the other side who say we need, you know, we need a bigger pot at the moment in order simply right. to pay for all the things we clearly can't well, pay for. Well, maybe are income tax for that. Yeah, but it? this is what I mean. You know, the, 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 the debate then begins to open up. And you're right, Pat, about obviously being quite near 50-50 virtually on, on Brexit. But on either side of that line, there were very strongly held, but also mutually incomprehending our feelings. Oh, well,
2: I think to some extent that's always been true. It was much more explicit under Brexit. But there have always been very profound divisions between people broadly on the left and broadly on the right. And it is, as we were saying earlier, it is interesting. There's so much support for trade the trade unions, for the strikes, and not a great deal of explicit opposition. But
1: is that maybe because they're quite weak, whereas, I mean, I'm old enough to remember the 70s. Um, when the fear was, it was the trade union barons, and that was the word that was used, who would be dictating policy rather than the government. Whereas it's clear now, unions are not. Doing well, that. not.
2: I mean, they, oh, they the, well, they weren't in the seventies either.
0: No, no. <laughs> they were stronger at least. But I mean, but we have a much yeah. broader based uh, p- proportion of the population now that are that are on strike than we, you know, yeah. than we we're seeing in the seventies.
1: But that's interesting, Pat. So you say it wasn't yeah. like that in the 70s. That memory is wrong. Well, it
2: was exaggerated by the the, by the Sun and the tabloid press. I think it was very much exaggerated. And I've no idea what they're saying about the strikers now. Probably not nothing very generous. But they were somehow made more impact
0: then. Well, I mean, I mean, here we are with strike action all over the place and the... Conservative Party. I mean, the the latest polls I saw, they're standing less than twenty five percent in the in the polls in, in intention yeah. to vote. Labour yes. Party is over fifty percent, fifty one percent. You know, so it's the vast, you know, the majority yeah. of the population is is saying they're going to vote Labour, even though we're seeing industrial action. So that is
1: very different from yes. the seventies.
2: Yeah, no, it is. Very what about this,
1: this attitude about class there? Because again, reflecting back on the seventies, it felt like a crisis mm. then. Although famously, crisis, what crisis was the headline? But it was a class. It felt very much more like a class issue between the workers and the management, and this was the division that was seen. How much does class play into divisions now in in Britain?
2: so again, it's less explicit than it was then, because we haven't got we have got a much smaller manual working class. On the other hand, everything we hear about the red wall seats and the the left behind people who are there, They seem very definitely of a different class from people in the South who are better off, more comfortable. So we may not always talk about it in class terms, but in in a way that's what people mean when they compare the affluent Southeast and the left behind Northeast, for example. I think there's a great awareness of very profound divisions which are divisions of health and wealth and income, which aren't they don't use the language of class so much. Are there
1: divisions of education as well? Well, that was going to be my, that my point. So you,
0: you, I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, how uh, early on in this discussion, you know, we've lost the manufacturing base. And have we replaced that? And, you know, the, the new jobs that we're seeing are, are jobs that require, you know, very often require a degree or, you know, uh, or some degree of education, uh, which not everyone can attain. So we've got we have got those left behind people because... There's just not the jobs. They can't go and work down the mines, or yeah. uh, you know, I guess they, you know, th- those jobs don't exist for them anymore. Have we just left that gap and not filled well, it?
2: Well, as far as it's been filled, it's been with service jobs, which are lower paid and less secure. we I been mean, working in cafes, in call centres, in stock-stocking um, shelves for Amazon and other online providers. Um, so that kind of thing, and for supermarkets. So that kind of thing has replaced them, but it's not got the status that mining and skilled manufacturing work has. Or the security. Absolutely yeah. not.
0: And maybe that's again, gets down to, well, the easy fix is to say, well, some of these companies might have to uh, do with a higher cost base because they are going to have to pay more for labour because we're going to introduce legislation which is going to provide more security for well, those it workers. Oh, we certainly
2: hope so,
1: yeah. So what you're saying is class exists still, if I'm reading you right, Pat, but, but it's... a It's perhaps less classic working class, middle class, and more geographical, more um, north-south, more educational, that kind of
2: thing? Yes, I think that is true. Of course, the Brexit vote was a big educational divide, but graduates and highly educated people were far more likely to vote Remain than to vote Brexit. (laughs) Um, So it is a very real. Thus, there was also an age divide that younger people were more likely to to vote remain. But of course, there are many fewer graduates amongst the older generations because there were fewer university places until maybe the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties.
0: So, do you think that the way forward then? I mean, is it to try and rectify that imbalance through policies around? taxation and you know and, and welfare and, and education or, or, and you're providing more education well that's going to be my, my point or is is it more to do with trying to find ways of securing up more more employment i mean it's, it seems like one is a one is a stopgap measure and the other one is trying to fill that gap somehow in a more long-term way but i'm not quite sure what that um, long-term gap is because you know are oh, well, the jobs well,
2: we're there we probably do it possible needs to do all of those things after all, our manufacturing has declined really much faster than, say, that of Germany or France. And there wasn't, and the other thing that went wrong from the nineteen eighties was the failure to to invest in developing new industries, which is what Harold Wilson tried to do in the late nineteen sixties when the Ministry of Technology. But the Conservatives didn't, rather they preferred to encourage finance. So at a time when other countries were developing industries, we weren't doing it. And I think there is a potential to do more of that.
0: Yeah, so giving tax breaks or incentives for companies to move move yeah. here rather than yeah. elsewhere, which is yeah. what Brexiteers yeah. would have said it's all about. Yeah. You know, we are opening the way for this yeah. new international Britain yeah. that's going to bring in all these but, jobs. But, but from what you're saying, Pat, you, you happen, think yeah. that the government, re-
1: these things we're talking about and sort of agreeing on don't seem to be the way the government is going. So, are this, they, government, this, this government. This government, exactly. Yeah, yeah so and the, the, you know, but my point earlier was that,
0: and the, you know, the government which is going to follow, which is almost certain now if you look at the, well, the yeah. polls, isn't saying enough of this stuff either. No,
2: I mean, again... They are quietly, but it's not explicit enough. I find that very frustrating. <laughs> it. Well, it's
1: the way to get elected, I'm sure, as to what they're thinking. Well, um, they, 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 I mean, they're shooing yeah. anyway.
0: So but what would terms- so what would you do, Pat, if you were, uh, if you, if you were our next <laughs> Prime Minister? What would you be yelling about from the rooftops now? But
2: I think above all, it would be work and greater security and investment in developing sectors of the economy that have been allowed to decline. And more redistributive taxation. But whilst explaining to people why and how it will really benefit everybody,
0: I think a lot of wealthy people would be quite happy to see some of that redistribution. We, we, we often see that case. I'll give you a point, case in point energy prices right now, while we've got a prime minister who's there uh, building his swimming pool, uh, while everyone else is struggling to pay. Uh, I mean, it's been discussed the idea, and I think most people would be behind this, where you where we have a, a, an increasing cost of energy the more you consume, and that's used to cost subsidise those low users. So if you're a low user of energy, you're cost subsidised by high users of energy who are paying more per you know per megawatt hour or whatever it is, uh, and and starting to get that sort of more pr- uh, you know progressive type taxation, um, you know, and most people I think th- would be behind that sort of approach. Yes,
2: yeah, so and I've certainly seen polls of. Um, the higher income people saying yes they would be willing to pay more tax in order to bring about these real improvements and um, rich people both nationally and internationally have been saying things like that
0: yeah if it's seen as being good for the economy i mean everyone wants the country yeah. it's so yeah. long as it's not wasted money so long as they see it being
1: mm. to yeah. the advantage of the well, country i, as I remain skeptical they may say it but I, I wonder if to be honest they'll do it
2: um <laughs> Well, one can only help. And it has happened. After all, the Labour government after 1945 got away with very high income taxes in order to provide a health service and generally... uh, And and that mention
1: 1945 kind of... Brings me back to the point I was making, which was that that was always seen historically as being a moment of national consensus to some extent, the, the scale of Labour's victory in 1945 and, and their agenda. And coming out of a crisis. And coming which, out of a crisis. Which is exactly what we're doing now. Is, is there a parallel, do you
2: think? Well, I, I would think so. I mean, it's, it's as severe a crisis as we've had, a uh, different kind, since 1945. And I do think there must be more people who are more, more desperate for real change but again it depends on having a government that can persuade people and as the post-45 Labour government did.
1: Do you think there is a need for persuasion there? because what you're saying the consensus seems to be there already?
2: Well I, I think it, things are shifting that way and having a government that was really going with it would help. So don't but, hold back, Keir Starmer yeah. is the message, isn't it? Yeah. At the end of all well, of this. No, no, I'm not too optimistic but yeah.
1: Or maybe a change <laughs> at yes. the top yes. of the Labour Party. Maybe <laughs> something of that order. But but overall then, coming out of this, we're coming to the end of the, the discussion I suppose but the sense you get is actually we're not as divided a society Pat, as many people fear and in fact as uh, as we have been perhaps uh, 20, 30 years ago.
2: Yes, uh, even 10 years ago, I'm getting to feel Feel that obviously there are real divisions. There are always divisions in any society, but on many areas it's, it's diminishing. And you know, if we're
0: all fighting for the greater yeah. good, I mean, that would be you know, we yeah, we if, if we all want, if we all
1: want an economy that is going yeah. to yeah. do better. Yeah. There's a loaded term, yes.
2: but yes. A successful economy and a stable society. That's what we all want. Yeah.
1: It's just how we get there. But, yes, maybe the consensus is there. Pat, thanks so much for talking to us. Great talking, Pat. Uh, interesting. And uh, we shall see when, the, you know, the division of the national cake that's going on this week. Um, has it? Is it going to produce something slightly fairer in the way we want, or as you say, do we have to wait for the Let's next?
2: Let's hope government? for the best. <laughs> All
1: right,
0: thanks, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Okay. And obviously, the budget this week has been more about trying to get people back to work rather than looking at any addressing any uh, question of inequalities. But I, I, I do think uh, you know the that, that, that attitudes are changing a little bit, and it's been brought on by COVID, and you know, it's it's very clear to a lot of people that there are sections of society that have struggled and something needs to be done about it. So the whole attitude towards the energy crisis was mm. an example of that. They could, the thing is, they, they could, more could have been done. And, I, and I, I think she's right as well. I don't think the Labour Party recognises that actually here's the opportunity to do some I real serious
1: changes in policy. They're being very careful and they're probably wise to do so. Because but despite you, what you hear, I don't, I don't buy it. I think there's a lot more opposition out there to these kind of things than, than you imagine and yeah. um i be lovely to think that, that that this will all be carried through on a wave of 1945 style optimism about how we can change well, society i one, have my doubts
0: uh, one thing that is getting worse for low income obviously is uh, the cost of living with inflation mm. but thank goodness uh things are getting better for them because we've got the best minds on the planet working yeah. in central banks yes getting those inflators yes. taking them a bit of time the grey men and women are that, out there they, these are very smart well qualified people so well, they're, they're yes. obviously, they've obviously got it right it's, uh, the fact it's taking a bit longer than expected yes, isn't their yes. fault yes. I
1: mean you know tight labour market who would, have, who would have thought that that could yeah. to put them off but anyway. and the fact they didn't foresee inflation
0: uh, yeah, extraordinary they just, um, they, maybe they did they just forgot to mention it could be anything
1: perhaps. I don't know but, but, but we're all in hock to them and they're making their decisions and we will be reflecting on the whole point of central banks are they the right people to be doing this kind of thing and it is seems the to right approach, approach that they're taking is, the is it the right approach, this. are they the right people is the whole idea of central banks operating in that sort of way,
0: well a bit anachronistic. And uh, a central bank independence should they be independent Indeed. or should they be working in cahoots with the government and having a coordinated approach. We will be of...
1: talking about all that on the Y Curve next, next
0: week brought to you by Wigmore Associates we will see you next week, thanks for listening. Bye The Y Curve